This podcast is sponsored by CDO Group, the industry leader providing a full range of construction and project management services. CDO Group has managed thousands of projects in all 50 states. Their group of experts provide systems, processes, and procedures to make sure that your projects turn over on time and on budget every single time. With over 24 years of experience, CDO Group is the industry's leader in construction management and general contracting services. To find them, go to cdogroup.com. Hi, and welcome to the Future of Development podcast. My name's Anthony Montategi, and I'm here to inspire people to find amazing careers in the construction development world. If you like our podcast, please make sure you hit the subscribe button down below. If you really like our podcast, make sure you hit the little bell. Hi, and welcome to the Future of Development podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Montategi, and today I'm joined by Zeus himself, Hannibal Baldwin from SiteZeus. Their technology helps folks sites in a much smarter way. You're going to love this conversation. Let's welcome Hannibal to the show. Hannibal, welcome to the show. I'm excited about talking about Site Zeus, you know, the uh, information of the gods. And uh, as we get into your product and, and talk about it, to me, technology and information is the key to our business, right? To the, the where we're going and uh, picking sites a lot smarter than ever before. That's that's the key to uh, uh, to our evolution. You know, the days when I sat on a job site with a little clicker, a little, a little, little bit out there. So welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Anthony. I really appreciate it. I love what you guys are up to. And I think it's a, it's a natural fit with what you're doing every day and what we're doing every day. I mean, I, the way I feel about it is we're handling a lot of, you know, the analytics side, the information side and, and taking a lot of big data and making it small through machine learning. And um, as I see it, you guys are the folks on the other side helping to execute and put that into place and make it real, make the outcomes real for, for brands and franchisees um, and uh, all the stakeholders. You know, as we continue to evolve from, you know, sitting on a, on a corner, uh, literally, you know, clicking it, you know, I, I, I thought we were special when at Boston Market, we created this, you know, this, uh, this application that took, you know, 13 or 15 different uh, components, you know, different uh, algorithms that uh, are measuring points of, you know, uh, churches, drive lanes, uh, uh, traffic count. Uh, you know, we, we took the radius rings, of, of, you know, one, three, oh, yeah. five mile rings. And we, we, we thought that we put that into a predictable in, index and we kind of rated each one of those things. And that gave us a model and we thought we were geniuses. We, we really thought that we were, you know, like the leading edge type guys. You probably were. Yeah. hundred percent. And then, you know, what you guys are describing is still something that um, we do see a lot of brands still using today. Um, we've modernized on top of that approach, but fundamentally we're still taking a lot of inputs and, and figuring out how they all index out into what it's going to mean from a sales standpoint. So um, I don't want to take credit from what you guys used to do. It's just transformed over, over the decades. You know, we'll, we'll say that we started, you guys just made it perfected. You perfected it. You know? There we go. Yeah. There we it, go. It's, it's the same thing when I'm trying to open a bottle and then I hand it to my wife and she pops it. And you're like, all right, look, I started opening it. There you go. You yes. popped it. And then she makes me feel like I'm like, all right, all right, I'm a right, tough guy. So, <laughs> so the, um, you know, as we as we look at uh, and, and and let's get to get the audience up to speed and and by the way, hey audience members, if you like this conversation, don't forget that the only thing that we get is when you guys like and subscribe to us. So if you like the conversation we have between Hannibal and I, uh, please make sure you take a minute right now and subscribe that for me. So I'd be I'd be so grateful and, and we'd both be grateful for that. Um, you know, as we, as we look at uh, uh, site selection, right? So as as a brand is looking to go out and pick a new location. 
Let's talk a little bit about the process that they that they go through. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think even if you're you're willing to, I, I can talk about when I myself and my brother had kind of started our own brand or at least bought the rights to a franchise and, and went through that process and that experience, which ultimately developed into kind of the the beginnings of the brainchild behind Sitesus. Um, I think it's similar to what every brand goes through, but um, long story short, my brother and I about 10 years ago, um, right out of college, ended up uh, partnering with uh, my brother's college roommate. His father found this really cool yoga concept, concept called Yogurtology out in Arizona. And we ended up uh, partnering and, and buying the rights to um, Florida that our, our partners did. And then we partnered with them on building the stores out. And we started building these stores. The first three were absolute home runs in the Tampa area. So Tampa Bay, St. Pete, uh, Sarasota. And um, uh, we were lucky to have our, our partners and who they were. They, they have a background in commercial real estate. So I think they, they, uh, they did know what they were doing, um, not to the extent of what we're doing now with Sitesus, but um, you know, they knew their way around markets and they knew um, the beginnings of site selection. And so that said, we, we, we picked our fourth store here in Citrus Park in Tampa, North Tampa, and it did not perform well. And as every brand knows, you build a poor performing unit that you sign a 10 year lease on that you deploy, you know, hundreds of thousands or potentially seven figures into the build out of the store. And then you're writing checks into it every month. You realize very fast that you can't afford to do many of those. And so we went through that experience um, and we came back reeling from that fourth unit asking ourselves what happened. And that's where um, naturally my background was in finance, got a degree in finance. I always gravitated towards statistics. So I went out searching for data to help explain what happened and ultimately found Esri's business analyst online, um, started getting some basic demographics out of there, like, you know, just population densities and a, and a radius and incomes and all the other kind of more generic demographics. Um, but ultimately we started building what I would, now look back and say it's a very embarrassing approach, um, but still something that was data-driven. We took sales data from yogurtology. We took estimated competitor sales in the yogurt space. We tied it all together and looked at correlation analysis between um, you know, all these, these different demographics and ultimately had a spreadsheet that provided an index, to your point, that kind of drove the site selection going forward. And we had a lot of success in units we built after that. Our two top performing locations were chosen with that. And then we actually opted out of some units that were built that, that ended up closing down. So um, that was the early pain point, the experience, and what ultimately led to cr the creation of the beginnings of before it was called Sitesus, what Sitesus is today. You know, the thing that I find the most interesting is that we get these franchisees who are dying to go do a business, right? And, you know, they're, they're, they're in the tech world or in another world. Now they want to go enter into, they want to build, uh, a, you know, a, a, an ice cream shop or yogurt shop and they, they're excited about it and they, they're ready. They have a passion, you know, for whatever reason they, they decide they want to do that. Now we're yeah. going to go ask them to go and become experts at site selection and, and by, by the way they're not getting much help from brokers and i don't mean that brokers aren't you know great at finding sites but the truth is they're looking they're driven by a little bit different uh, they, they don't have to pay them, right they're, they're they've got a different motivation than than the franchisee does the franchisee has to operate that for the next 20 years where exactly. oftentimes we don't have the uh, you know the authentic relationships with the broker who's looking for their best interest. They're looking more for a commission, or they've yeah. got relationships with uh, different malls or different developers that oftentimes are driving you know that 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 support in, in the wrong way. So now yeah. a, a franchisee can look at a model, and you know 
oftentimes I, I, I believe that I'm, I'm just waiting for a broker to tell me, hey, Anthony, I've got your perfect location. Or you, look, we've been waiting to build an island out in the middle of Lake Michigan, and your brand is going to be the brand that's going to center it. And we're just waiting for that because that's just a different motivation. There's definitely elements of how the brokerage model is facilitated that make it less, I don't want to say less, less pure may be the right word. And there's just, and it's nothing wrong with that. It's just the, the necessary structure to make the world go around. Um, but that's where I think analytics come into play to make the decision-making process more pure. Um, I mean, I can jokingly say I've heard that probably 50 times from various brokers in the brokerage industry that the number two or number three Chick-fil-A out of the whole nation is right across the street. You know, I hear that That's a classic line, you know? Um, so, and, and they may not be wrong, but I just heard it too many times where uh, I got to go validate it with other data, you know? And I, I think that's where um, we're taking, we're, we're really taking the pain points out of development. And, you know, as, as like your site, Seuss is really taking and really making the model something that I don't have to take their opinion or somebody I don't know. Now I'm really, I've got real science. data science, right? Science that, that really gives me the ability to look at the site with a lot more uh, data than ever before, but done it in a simple way, right? You know, kind of boils that down to a place that I can digest it and not have to kind of, you know, measure all the different components. It gives me something yeah. that... Uh, yeah, look, we as humans, there's, I mean, you have 10 fingers and that's about as many data points as you can comprehend in, in one sitting around one decision before it becomes overwhelming. And so the way I looked at the industry... And just analytics altogether and information all the first phase of analytics was descriptive analytics. And that was, let's take big ass data and let's put it in charts, pie graphs, bar charts, you name it. Right. Um, now where we've entered and we're, we're all, we're, we're at the tail end of it, um, is the predictive analytics phase. And that's where we started in is the middle of that phase, um, societally where you're taking big data and you're using machine learning to make it small because that's what humans need. You need to, take big data, make it smaller through figuring out what's important and how important is it to get to one or two, you know, factors or decision points um, from an information standpoint and where we're headed. And we're definitely haven't realized it yet as is a technology industry is prescriptive analytics okay. where you're, you're, you're taking predictive analytics. You're getting more data that's descriptive and contextually aware of what you're predicting so that you can move that predictive analytic farther down the decision-making chain. So if I know that a unit's going to do a million seven, you know, for a particular franchise business, that's maybe a successful unit. Great. What's the rent rate? What, what's the permitting, the zoning, all the different factors. If I have those data points, then I can get you closer to saying you should just build this site. You don't have to go check all those boxes. You know, that's where we're headed as, you know, an in information industry is towards prescriptive analytics. But I know I kind of went on a tangent there, no, but no, no, uh, Listen, listen, I I even see it further, right? I, I, I can really see where AI and as these analytics get way, way more intelligent and start to know us, you know, the, the data points that we have today are just, I mean, and there's a lot more now than when I, when I was doing this. You guys are doing, uh, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of more points than I ever did. And now that's one way. But as we could get, go another bubble out, right, go another level out, where it becomes millions of pieces of data that get analyzed, you know, uh, people, type, history, all the stuff that really brings in, you know, I, I, I could see a future where AI actually draws 
what is the best uh, best case scenario for for a marketplace, right? Really understanding the people that are in it and really lowering the number of failures that happen because it just knows the people so much better, right? Being able to look at it and go, look, we don't need 17 ice cream stores here. We've already got uh, we've already got four. Or we already got, uh, you know, we've already got 15 of them. We don't need two more of them. And uh, maybe uh, focus your energies on going to market B where uh, you can do a lot better because there's only two of them over there. And, uh, and that, that's a big value proposition that, that a, a lot of brands realize after we, we build models for them. Um, everyone always wonders, like without a modeling approach and without a lot of analytics, you see a lot of brands and brokers go for those A markets that are tip top rent rates that are cutthroat competition where everyone's stacked in there and you're sharing, you know, you're taking a small share of stomach. The opportunities for most of these brands is actually in the suburbs or the markets that are maybe B revenue markets, but with an arbitrage opportunity on rent, labor, expenses, where you can actually drive more bottom line profit out of these units than you would in, a, in an A or top tier market. That's usually the opportunity. Absolutely, you know that that here that to me is the the, the sell right. Great, you want to put your ego out there and put yourself on uh, downtown uh, Michigan Avenue. Great, you got that. And go here. Here's my here's my downtown site, and I get I can get that. Like you want to get your brand yeah. somewhere and show your ego. But the That's marketing play, right? Yeah, I, I want my ego when I go look at my banking account, right? I want to go look at my bottom line and go look yeah. that. There's my ego right there. I I did not need to be over here, and and maybe you, there's a combination of both because you need to have a little bit of flair, but a little bit of this. Sure. But I think most brands that are really intelligent, we've watched brands that have been so successful in those B and C markets that have crushed their restaurant groups that. They're the masters of it. They're the they're the fancy place to go out, and you know you put them in an A market, and they're like no one sees them. Yeah, no. Look, there is a there's a play and a reason strategically to build in high profile markets and A markets, right? It's I think it's a responsibility of the brand themselves, the corporate brand, to as a marketing play and getting their name out there. Like I look at Vegas as a perfect example. You're not going on the strip necessarily to make money. Even if you do, it's probably the secondary reason. The first reason is to get exposure nationally to that brand. You look at Shake Shack, you look that's at right. the others on the strip, that's why they're there. That's right, that's right. You're, you're getting those millions of people come by and that's your, it's as much marketing as it is, uh, you know, a product. Uh, making money. Making money, right, yeah. it's exactly that. And it, you know, that's funny, so that, that then goes into my into my development strategy, right? As I, as I look at it and, you know, but back to your point about success rate, right? As I look at uh, brands, you know, there's other brands that develop differently. You know, uh, we're working with a brand that's a pizza chain on the East Coast. Uh -huh. And uh, they develop uh, one, you know, and, and they're a really expensive pizza chain. When the first time I went and saw them, you know, they're spending five to $800,000 for a, a, a pizza restaurant. And I thought to myself, that seems a little pricey. But then what I'm noticing about what they're doing is they build one flagship store. And then uh -huh. from there, they service it with these mobile trucks. Right, okay. and they're yeah. they're, pu they're pulling data data and analytics from places I never even imagined. They're using third party vendors, the Uber Eats, the, uh, the Grubhubs. They're they're pulling data from those uh -huh. and figuring out where to put the next truck. There's the demand too, right? Yeah, and, and, and they're seeing that demand uh, come in. That like scouting. Right, it's kind of a scout, and then they boom, put another, put another. It's a little slow. I mean, it's a much slower way of growing, right? It's a sure. much different way of, of looking at it. It's it's hard to roll out that way, but uh, yeah. you know, it's a strategy I never even thought about before, right? I, I never even thought, imagined that that would be a strategy. No, that that makes total sense. Yeah, with with the invention of ghost kitchen, third party delivery, I think there is a way to de-risk 
market planning. And we're actually, I can't mention the name, but we're going to attempt to be going to market with some very powerful analytics that have, you know, third-party delivery data um, and some other aspects that are very informative to the model, because I think they can be an early tell on, on demand in a market and where that demand is. And so instead of putting a million dollars into a store and hoping there's demand there, um, you can, you can, you know, you can stress test it with food trucks and, and ghost kitchens. It's exactly the right thing. Now we've got another play to look at, right? All right, right. Look, before I go and do this, I can put a, a you know, a test kitchen, uh, you know, delivery uh, kitchen back there, or ghost kitchen in a market and go, all right, let's try that. I can take the back of a mall, take some unused space, do a quick one out there, uh, facilitate yeah. it with the third party delivery folks. Notice that, all right, great. I've got a great pop here. I've got a built in traffic model. Now yeah. it makes that next investment a little bit smarter. By the way, I think a lot of the stuff that we're doing, uh, you know, there was a lot of the development companies that I've worked for that built for just because of a Wall Street number. You know, I, I've certainly been driven into bad decisions by bosses who said, hey, look, I've got to make that number. I've, committed to I've got a quota. i got to build 50 units. I guess I have. Yeah, there's definitely that pressure too. There's yeah. no doubt. We've, we've definitely been, been, I've seen that. And today I've, I feel like a lot of the real retail spaces that are collapsing. Uh, now, some of that, you know, was overbuilt, right? We had overbuilt. Now, sure. we also had a different, uh, we, we now have a, a new competitor called Amazon in there, uh, oh. <laughs> which, which, you know, shook up the whole world and continues to, yeah. to do so. And, you know, I, th I think that uh, as we continue to have these uh, new ideas and, and new new uh, data points come in, you know, it gives us a chance to go, all right, let's think a little bit more about it. And what I love about SiteZeus is that you, you've now got, you know, essentially you've got a 30-year expert uh, helping picking your site, right? You're, you don't yeah, have, right? your data. Right. You've got all this uh, data that comes in and it's like you're hiring an expert that you don't mm -hmm. have to pay for it. And by the way, these brands can't afford to the weight of putting that entire team on. They, they, they really do belong partnering with brands like yourself that uh, take them through, um, look, get rid of that whole real estate team, bring on the, the you know, a, a company that can help you find the locations you want to be. At least let's point to the corners we want to be on. Yeah. Help. Yeah, exactly find the trade areas, the key trade areas. And that's a big part of our platform. It's like, for example, SiteSonar, one of the features, we can scale up to 50,000 forecasts on any seed node, any piece of real estate or class of real estate that you want to. So if you say, hey, I'm a fast casual restaurant, I've trained my model in SiteSeus, go run all 50,000 forecasts and borrow a lat long from anybody in the QSR industry and their rooftop today. And so we can go seed point all these different trade areas and that pro, it builds a proactive plan to market planning that you can then tell the brokers where you need to be instead of them telling you where you need to be. Right. That's, That's right. the key premise in taking something that was a historically and even today with a lot of brands, a reactive process where franchisee and broker bring, bring location to brand brand approves it. What we're trying to change is brand drives, you know, high integrity intelligence and market planning with seed points to the franchisees and brokers because it's going to deliver better outcomes and it, it keeps them more efficient. So they're not wasting their time digging up dirt that the brand's not going to improve anyways. Right. Yeah, I've watched brands who just took every franchise deal that came at them. And now yep. you know, in, in, in first tier development, great, maybe get away with it. But the problem is as you start to do infill and second tier development and you start to go to that stuff that really goes, look, I, I, I've watched those same exact brands 
cannibalized markets that could have 50, you know, yeah. you, you, could, you could have 50 locations in a market. Now you've cannibalized so many trade areas uh, by putting a location in between or the wrong spot. And exactly. And it's, and it's those first few, those tier ones that they are easy, but actually those placement of the first few units are the most critical because it sets the table for where you can place all of the secondaries and tertiaries. That's right. And that's a big portion of when you look at an optimization problem in a geographical space, where you put the first one, two, or three, it drives a lot of the opportunity cost of what the potential of that market is. It really does. You know, it's that short-sighted thinking, but you know that you can't, you can't fall, you know, there at first you're, you're brand and you're just like so happy to have anybody come in. Yeah. And, you know, you're like, Oh, I got this. But you know, going back and I can name numerous brands, which I don't want to put them on in their face, but how many brands that are just, that suffered because of that and long-term really did affect their overall revenue and they, and they paid the price for that uh, today. So, you know, let's go back a little bit. So as a brand uh, comes in and, and says, Hey, look, Hannibal, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in, in bringing some Zeus on and being my development partner. And uh, I, I really want to get, uh, I, I, look, I need a partner to help me find locations. Yep. So I think you know, from our standpoint, what we've done, if, if we look at the rest of the story, so I, I think I stopped at, you know, the fact that we built Yogurtologies, we had this spreadsheet and that was kind of where the idea of Site Zeus took off. So, you know, at, at a certain point with Yogurtology, we got so excited about this idea. We we ended up talking with our partners and they ended up taking over the day-to-day operations. And we took this idea and started building a software company around it. And there was a lot of naivety and, and um, ignorance in that decision in thinking that one, uh, everybody needs this and two, uh, no one else solves for this industry. I think we were right about the first one and that everybody needs it. It's very clear to me now that every single brand that builds stores has bad units. Yeah. You have a bell curve of units and some of those are on the poor performing side. What if those didn't exist? So everybody's got the problem and we were right about that. Um, what we were very naive about is that, oh, there's no one in this industry solving this. And when we got into it and you start, you know, you would build the first version of the platform and you start going out there and selling and figuring what software sales is about. You realize, oh, wow, there's been these companies that have been in the industry for decades. And um, what we did find is that they were um, very recognizable, very great companies led by great people, but they were consultancy-based companies. They weren't software-as-a-service companies or platform-as-a-service companies. And what we had imagined, because we weren't aware of them, and I, I truly believe this by accident, I think we imagined this experience where you could take a flat file of store locations, addresses, and sales revenue, click upload into a modern bay, you know, modern, modern web uh, technology or web page, and then five or 10 minutes later, have a trained and deployed machine learning model that, that will allow you to go sales forecasting around the nation. So that plat what I call platform is the ability for a brand to take their data themselves, build, train, and deploy a model they can use 10 minutes later. That didn't exist in the industry, and I don't think we would have done it that way if I was even aware of what exists in the industry, because we probably would have just copied what was, was happening there. And that's all to say that is what still drives the differentiation and the innovation of what we're building every day and how we separate ourselves in the market from everyone else is that we actually have built a true platform that our client brands now can take their data themselves internally with a real estate analyst or um, a VP or a director of real estate, take their data, load it into SiteSeus. We geocode it, geocode it, pull all the different data for different trade areas, social data, demographics, mobile data, um, you name it, we've probably got it. And we pull all that for all their sites and we train a machine learning model. 
and anywhere from five minutes to an hour, depending on how many sites the brand actually has historically. You know, Subway's a client with over 27,000 locations and we've got some with, you know, 30 or 40, right? So, um, but again, minutes or hours later, you've, you've got a model that you can go forecast. And so what we delivered is a process that can give results in minutes and then recycle that process versus what the industry does today is still takes 90, 120 days. It's a consulting engagement. There's people driving that process. And if you ever want to recycle a model or you don't like it, or it's getting stale, you're talking about, you know, five to six figure contracts to just update the model. Right. And it becomes, it becomes un, unworkable for a brand. You know, I, I, I want to back up because I think this is something that I want every entrepreneur that's listening. If you're out there and you're thinking that you have to have all the information, I, I think what Hannibal said is right on. Sometimes not knowing is the smartest thing that I've ever done. I didn't know I could do certain. I couldn't do certain things. And if I listened to the people who told me I couldn't do something, I would never. Get, I would never anywhere, right? How many people? You know, the naysayers and stuff. You're like, look, look. If I sat in that every every idea can be shot down. Every idea. It would started with my mother. Right? It was started with her when she told me to. You know, I, I should have been a butcher. Hey, literally, she was like, Anthony, you should be, she wanted me, first thing, I was 14 years old, she, she made me go work at a butcher shop, and she goes, look, no matter what, you could be a butcher in your life. I'm like, <laughs> right, because that was safe, and to her, she could see that, and the yep. thought of going, stepping out, and, and leaving a hometown, Florida, and going, right, go to Chicago, the big city, what's going to happen to my little boy, and I appreciate the love and the care. But also, we, we've never done anything by being safe. You know, we've never yeah. done anything by, by, by doing the same thing or copying. It's just more of the same stuff, just in a, in a different polish. I tell my executive team and my entire company every time, like, you know, people sometimes get fix, fixated on, oh, the competition did a press release. They launched a new feature. I'm like, great. It's good to be aware of it. If we're focused too much on competition, you're not focused on innovation. Right. And, you know, what we've seen when we enter the industry is a lot of folks copy our marketing, our website, um, you know, some of the product. And I, I tell my team, that's what we want. If, if people are focused on what we've already put out in the market, the past, as I call it, that's exactly where we want them because we, we need to focus on the future. And you've constantly got to push to stay and keep the company as it grows angled in that direction because it is easy to get sucked into what is everyone else doing and how do we copy them and, you know, getting kind of nervous about what a competitor is doing. You know, that's, I think it's just super important. You know, for us, it's, it's always about if we focus on the better product, no matter what, if we stay on the product, this is what that product needs to, to solve the problem that we have. And when we're solving it better than anybody else, you know, uh, in the construction world, it's always about, for me, it's always about delivering on time, on budget. And, fa and, and people in, in this industry use that as this loose term. I was close or I did our best or, and I'm like, no, 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 no. Listen, when we say this is the date, it's going to happen like this. That's where we're going to live into and, and, and creating uh, the solution. It's focusing on the solution and, and, and delivering on a better product. You know, just for, for me, it's always paid off. You know, you know, like you staying away from looking at what everybody else is doing. You're right. I can appreciate that. Like, you know, I, I get to see it because I'm in the podcast world. I get to see all the kind of innovation that's happening. But truth is, I got, we got three things that we got to do every single day. We got to make sure that we turn over our projects on time, right? We got to turn them over on budget. No matter what, no matter what, we got to turn them over. Those two things have to happen, and our and our customers, you know, got to be communicated with and, be, and have trusted partners with with us. So, yeah, it's simple for us. It's hard to do somehow, ironically, you know, consistently, but it is very simple in practice. In 
in concept to innovate, you really, the only person you need to listen to is your client. And you don't necessarily listen to them telling you how you need to solve it. You need to listen to what their problem is. And the innovation comes from us imagining how to better solve that problem. And you, you do that in a more innovative way. If you don't know how other people have, have tried to solve it, like IE your competition. And usually if your client's telling you exactly how you need to solve it, what we found is it's, it's usually what some other competitors already given them. Right. And so it's just staying focused on what is it they're asking us to solve? Not how are, how are they telling us to solve it? You know? Got it. So now, uh, the brands come to you, right? And they and they come from all different angles, different types, different uh, genres, and they and they 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 bring you with with some some with data, some without data. Some are some are learning about their brands, and some have a lot of history about their brands, and they start to upload this into your model, right? Into, into your software, and from that, give me what the what the outcome is, and and how their their path of of uh, business goes with you. Yeah. So I mean, the really fun thing for us is that and this is where we get to prove our value proposition before any brand formally comes on board and, and subscribes and signs a contract is it's the proof in the pudding is that, you know, is, is we have a, a, a sales pipeline of folks who are interested in what we're doing and are starting conversations. And usually right after a discovery call of understanding what a prospect's problems, it, problems are, we go to a demo. And then after that demo of the generic platform, we say, look, it's great. You got to see all this functionality. Um, wouldn't you like to try it out with your data before you ever sign up for anything? And that's what we call our proof of concept. And 98% of our clients or prospects go through that process. They get to essentially, I test the test drive in the car before they buy it. And that's something that no one else in the industry can do. So it proves the fact that you know, our core value prop is timely accuracy. We can deliver that in a, in a pre-sale and prove it. Um, and, and so when the client comes on board, not only do they feel better about what they've signed because they felt it, touched it, used it, um, but also we've got the first version of their model stood up. They were then very quickly iterating, get our hands on more data, trying new data points to increase the accuracy of the model. And that's happening on, a, on usually on onboarding in, in the first three months, there's a lot of model iteration, a lot of updates to the model, pulling in more data, trying new, new data points surveying sites, getting an understanding of can quantify management and marketing because that does affect sales. That's a big portion of being able to predict sales. Um, and then that starts to, to slow down, um, you know, towards the six and 12 month period, you're not doing a bunch of model rebuilds constantly. Um, and that's where it gets into the utilization of, of a lot of the functionality, the solutions, as I call them on top of the platform. And there's five core solutions, right? The first one is you need to understand how a particular site's going to perform, right? That's getting a sales forecast. The second is let's scale that concept up and do market planning or running thousands and tens of thousands of forecasts. So you can know optimal placement, not just on one site, but how they all affect each other, you know, network effect and, and potential, you know, uh, market unit count, right? Market potential. Um, the third is understanding how a new site can impact another site. So cannibalization, um, sales transfer, both forward and reverse, right? So when you open a site, how's it gonna impact? But the hard fact of reality is that growing brands and especially ones that have hundreds or thousands of locations, there's closures and there's relocations. And that's a healthy part of growth that has to happen. Yeah. Um, right. And so, you know, that's a big piece of what we drive on, on one of our solutions. And then the fourth is understanding who your customer is. So we tie mobile data and social conversations together to, to tell you literally who are the behaviors and what are these folks talking about that are that are coming in and transacting in your store. And then the last one is um, 
understanding how to optimize your existing store. So really being able to take that model that was trained on all your historical stores that we've been using for forecasting new stores, but let's look back and let's understand, Hey, what if you remodel? What if you add square footage? What if you, um, uh, update with digital menu boards or add Wi-Fi? These are all actual experiments that you can run, you know, take, take a brand like it's got thousands of locations and they're going through a remodel. Um, you know, every, t- every decade, and they're trying to push the new remodel across the system of stores, they'd like to know along with the franchisees, which stores are going to have a higher ROI on that $100,000 spend or $200,000 spend to remodel the units, because that's where they're going to start. And that's something that our sandbox feature really, really helps drive uh, from a portfolio standpoint. And, and by the way, all those brands you're talking about, the brands that do that work, right? The brand, wait, first of all, first of all, I'm going to go, the brands that do that work, and the franchisees that buy in to, to operating that way, they're always on the top of the arc, right? When, every single brand that, every brand that we work for, uh, the, the franchisee that uh, uses the analytic, is looking for the way that it's approaching it, their, their stores outperform the rest of the system always and it's uh it's 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 pretty consistent across all the brands that we work for and it always impresses me to think right these are the these are the people who are using data using the thought process leading the charge for the rest of the brands and then there's always guys at the back of the fish going well I, we should never do that i can't believe the brand makes me do this and then exactly it's the more harmonious relationship between the franchisee and the franchisor there's definitely a strong correlation between performance. I mean, you're spot on. You know, I, I think it's pretty awesome that you guys go as far as build the model and let them try it out. I mean, that takes a lot of effort from you guys to, to go in there. I mean, that, that means you're pretty, uh, you know, you have a pretty big assurance of your, of your product to be able to go out there and go, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to give you a free test drive at this thing. And the hours and hours it takes to set up the free test drive. Uh, you know, it, it, that's a, that's a pr- pretty big deal. Well, uh, the secret there is it's, it's, it's not too heavy of a lift because of, of our value prop. It's like, yeah. hey, if you, it's really on the client. If, if, can you fill out a spreadsheet of your stores addresses and annual, you know, trailing 12 month revenue, if you can do that. It's going to take our team 10 minutes, take that spreadsheet format the right way, click upload. And then we're going to roll into a demo. So it's really, I don't like saying this because maybe it makes people feel better that we're doing a bunch of work for free, but we're not. Um, it's, it's, we put in all the work on the front end and developing the product that way. Um, but it's also the proof of concept is, is not, it does two things for us. One, it proves our value proposition, but two, it actually very rarely, but sometimes occasionally does, we get a brand that's maybe in an off industry. There's got units that are so disparate and different that maybe we can't build a proof of concept or model that's to the level of satisfaction the client's going to want or that, that meets our standards. And I don't want to find that after the fact, after they've signed a long-term contract and paid us money because that's never a pretty conversation. It's never fun for either side. I've gone through it in the early days of, of, of the business and I never want to do it again. So we, we, I would say almost require it. Uh, We do require it on the sales side unless a brand is so adamant with us. Like, no, I want to, I like the product. I want to skip the proof of concept stop, let's go straight to it. And we're like, slow down, give us your data for your own sake and our sake. But that's why I say there's probably 2% of the time where the brand is, it's like, all right, fine, let's do it. 
<laughs> no, I, I, I get it too. We get it. We get them here. All of a sudden, I've got you know, someone else going. Yeah, we want to start now. Start. Just go. And they they meet us. At, I've got one of those meetings happening on, on Tuesday. They're they're walking like, don't just go. We want you to do all the projects. Uh, you came you know, recommended from somebody else. You, you know, we saw you do it at this brand or that brand or something. And we you know we, we know what you did for them. And I, I don't have time to wait because we're 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 up to this. And 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 you know what? Those are uh, a few and far in between. But when they when they show up, I, I love that we're ready for them and and. Uh, uh, we can go out and deliver, uh, you know, consistently and, and give them what they need so they can focus on what they do. You know, the brands that are, uh, you know, the thing I've learned throughout uh, my history of this is that, you know, it used to be that we had all of this weight in-house, right? We had yeah. this yeah. massive real, I mean, if you looked at the team, right, we, we had this huge real estate team at Boston Market or Blockbuster Video or or Discovery Zone. It was a massive, I mean, you're, 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 our development team was you know, over five million dollars a year in just just overhead, people. just people, right? Just that team, and then you got to have the people that watch the people, right? Then you got the people who who manage it, and the desk, and the computer, and all this, and all that stuff. You know, the yeah. the the defocusing of uh, you know product of their own product development and trying to manage a construction company and a real estate company and a and you know the operations, all the stuff that it takes to do that today. There are amazing companies like Saitsu's that take that off your plate, that now go, good, hey, look, you focus on what you do, and we're going to take care of this segment of your of your, of your project, uh, of your development, without with with more intensity than you could ever hire. You can never yeah. hire this expertise, and you're getting the benefit of, of, of you know, thousands and thousands of data points that you could never have gotten. Uh, from and I really, I really think that's what we've created in, in the best performing brands we work with is we've created this this product that's kind of a hub on that side of the business where you don't have to have a ton of people in the org now to be successful around real estate, where we were like an epicenter for connecting to the franchise sales, right? Cause, cause they've got to drive new sales and get new franchisees on board and sell the value proposition, the brand. And we help do that with our analytics and our market planning. It, we've really, you, you talk to our clients, you know, our value proposition plays very well into being able to convince and put confidence behind, you know, negotiating territories, how many units you can put in a territory, what the performance is gonna be, cannibalization, all that kind of stuff. Um, paired with obviously functionally driving real estate decisions with internal real estate folks, right? And then the analytics teams we see at the enterprise, we sit at the hub between sales, real estate and analytics, right? And, and it lets them all play together in one sandbox. Now you guys get uh, talk talk about the rest of the cycle. So uh, as you go through and you've created uh, the, the the model, right? Now mm -hmm. they got uh, they've got uh, choices, and you've got kind of uh, different th different uh, games that we can play with with the choices. So talk about that a little bit more. Yeah. So um, I mean, that's where you know the platform is. When I refer to the platform, it is the ability to train, deploy, and then recycle that process, a sales forecasting model, and then after that, it is ready to use in a variety of solutions like go drop a pin, get a forecast. You know, you can look at all the raw data you want on demographics, but you want to understand what, what the variables are that are, you know, the top drivers of that forecast. What are they? What are the top 10? What are the comparable sites? Cause that's a big piece in the real estate industry. What are the comps, right? We've actually designed um, our comps to breed out of the same math the forecast does. And so you get to see what kind of a window in the machine learning, like, what's the justification behind this, you know, $2 million unit, if that's a real excellent or outperforming site. We say, well, look, here's the top data points. Here are your top five comps and look how similar they are. 
on those variables. And, and it's a big like, you know, wow moment, you know, light bulb goes off and you start to see the resemblance with, you know, a lot of the real estate folks. What's amazing to me, it's so impressive when you get somebody who's been in real estate 20 or 30 years, the amount of knowledge they know about these markets and these sites and their own units. It's like, oh, I know that one. I know that Maine and Maine and they can literally visualize everything about it. And what we're showing them is like, hey, it's like a neural network in their brain, you know, combining with our machine learning and, and they're starting to see, okay, this machine learning isn't a black box. I can start to trust it. It's looking actually at very similar things I do, right? But it's doing it at a scale I was never capable of doing or designed to do. So that's, you know, one of the features that the, the smart comps in our platform that's that's very interesting. But Well, I think uh, it also takes them, it has them, you know, look, if, if 80% of my decision logic is created for me, Right now, that 20% that breaks out that I need to really focus on, I can I can do it justice where I couldn't do that before. I was focused on the 80% of weight yeah. that I had to carry to get to the analytic. And, you know, the deals, the, the great deals, you know, every deal, every great deal dies five times. I, I you know there's a lot of stuff that dies because of a deal. I mean, they just, yeah. whatever the deal maker happens. And then all of a sudden, I'm, if I'm focused on all this weight and trying to get the data and analytics and, you know, having that teed up for me in a very... In a, in a process that I can count on, now I can really move, really move the deals forward because I have time to go and work yeah. on the sticking points, and and that's that's where the the finesse of a great real estate person is is know, knowing how to move that deal that's just a little stuck, or how to say the right thing to get something over the goal line that yeah. uh, you, you didn't have time to say when you're spending all this time carrying in the weight or standing out there with the clicker. No, I, I wholeheartedly agree with it, and I, and. and to be fair too, the way we we train our brands and set the expectation is that do not use us as, as an end-all be-all. It's still a model in every model and every forecast, even though I think we have best in class and we push the needle in the industry on accuracy. The question asked around predictive modeling is not how right it is, it's how wrong. Because every single model is going to be wrong some statistical portion of the time. It's just a fact of reality. Um, so we like to get clients seeing the world that way. Right. Um, and not saying, why is this thing, you know, 2% off or, you know, you know, more than 3% off every time. It's like, well, let's, we got to reset expectations on what predictive modeling is and what's acceptable and what's valuable. Right. Um, and so we also train them, Hey, we're a portion of the process and the decision-making process. Take our forecast, combine it with key data points that you know are relevant to your brand that you can get out of our system um, and other qualitative metrics. So you've got a you know sales forecast that's a checkbox. You've got basic data that we're taking maybe from top variables and, and meshing that with what you believe to be top variables for your brand. That's a checkbox. And then you've got your gut intuition and internal market knowledge of going seeing the site and kicking the dirt, right? Yeah. You have three boxes to check. If you check all three on a site, don't even think twice. Figure out how to get the deal done, right? That's right. If you check in two dig into the one that's off and see if you can explain why it's an exception. If you can only check one box, move along. That's right. right, right. Get, right? Get through. That's how we, that's how we train people to incorporate our platform and our analytics. And it also gives you a chance to look at more deals faster, which ultimately leads to a better deal. It, it always does a, be, a better real estate deal. You know, I, I oftentimes will get caught up with a franchisee who's just dying to jump in a brand and they've got a broker leading them down a path and the deal they get is crap, 
right? It's 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 dirt. It's it's a dark shell with all kinds of things, and they're going to be cost with finishing the shell. You know, they get they get this uh, TI money that doesn't equal the deal, and ultimately, the yeah. franchisees paying to finish the building, and yeah. uh, they don't they don't know that they don't understand the construction. They're like, oh look, I got twenty five dollars, but you don't understand the the build out of what you should be getting is going to be yeah. five bucks. You just, you just spent fifty bucks a square foot on on your. Uh, on your on the on the TI on the TI for the landlord and you're not noticing that because you just don't know you you don't know that. And that's where, right. And that's where having multiple deals uh and then having people that you can trust that can look at that and go, right, here's where you're getting a full white white box. And these are the things that you need. You know, look, you don't need this or that. You need these. And 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 be able to focus that with, with the rest of your partnerships with your contractor and your architect and, and the rest of the team that that puts that together. That's, and that's, that's the other portion of, like I said, three checkboxes. What I'm not privy to, like you are more so, is there's another three you still got to check. And it's all on the negotiation, the lease side, the construction side. Those are all parameters you got to get checkboxes on. And that's, now you've got six or seven checkboxes that the real estate director and individuals are responsible for. And so you can't expect them to get caught up, like you said, to 80%. If you're in the analytics 80% of the time, you don't have 20%. It's hard to spread the other 20% on these other six boxes and do a good job. You know, and what's funny, what's what's coming down the road in artificial intelligence and you know the AI model that is going to be able to you know as buildings become digital twins, and we've got this BIM model of the base building, and as we are brand and we're able to go out and look at different locations, we're going to be able to get to that predictive index or that predictive uh, cost analysis much much faster. I mean, I I can see a day when. We're, we're looking at sites and knowing numbers instantaneously. Like, like literally. Now what you're describing is prescriptive analytics. If you take that and you combine it with our top line. Yep. So we're top line. You're talking about modeling bottom line. That's right. That's right. You can combine them both. You have a prescription. Build it or don't build it. Sign the lease. I, you know? An AMI model in the future that really takes that, takes your software, our software, puts those together. That that pillar becomes a much, you know, it starts to look at marketplaces and go, look, here's where you're able to get uh, this cost, this predictive uh, of sales revenue. And, uh, you know, it, it just, it's it's getting more fun. It can prescribe and suggest. Yeah. Yeah, Hannibal, it's getting fun. You, you know, <laughs> what you're up to, when, you know, when I start talking, I, it gets me so excited. Size Suits gets me so excited. And, uh, you know, where we're going and the stuff that we're breaking through every single day. And, and but by the way, I honor you and your brother for, for the for the breakthrough of, of not knowing you couldn't do this and standing in that every single day. You know, as a, uh, uh, as customers want to get involved and get get connected with you, what's the best way for them to catch up with you? Oh, you can reach out to me at my email, hbaldwin at sitesuits.com or reach out to anyone uh, inside of our company on LinkedIn, on social, uh, if you've got their emails. Um, and uh, I guarantee the conversation will find its, find its way to me if you're looking for me. So um, all of those are you know, possibilities and to, to get in contact. Well, Hannibal, I, I got to say, I love talking to you. You know, we, uh, even in pre-show, uh, we had a lot of fun as you guys, yeah, continue, as you continue to make breakthroughs uh, on your, on your software. And every, every time you make another bounce out, uh, out there and uh, you know, your other friends want to come on, uh, please, 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 please come back. Uh, you know, and, and audience members, if you liked this podcast, really please take a second and like it and subscribe. Uh, that's how we get a little feedback as to we're hitting the right button. If you have any suggestions, please put some love comments it. down below for us. Uh, we love that. I'm going to put a lot of links down below for Hannibal and his company and how to get a hold of them. And uh, I'm, I'm really excited. Hannibal, 
Thanks, man. Thanks. I really appreciate it, Anthony. This was super fun. Um, don't do many of these, uh, but this was really exceptional and you put on a, a great presentation and, and great, great podcast. And I'd be happy to do it again. And I've actually got some ideas for folks that uh, want to send your way. Cool. Hey, I, I, I break here. Megan, you're <laughs> Megan heard that. Follow right. up. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. I'm grateful. I'm so grateful. Thank Definitely. You. All right. Thanks. Anthony. See you guys. Thanks for joining us. My name is Anthony Montegi. Always looking for people to bring insight into the industry. Finding ways to inspire people to have amazing careers in the development world. If you liked our podcast, make sure you hit the subscribe button down below. If you really liked our podcast, make sure you hit the little bell. Thanks again for listening. Please share it with your friends.